You are listening to the Less Drama, More Mama podcast, episode 257, Helping Your Anxious Teen with Kendra Huffman. This is Less Drama, More Mama, the podcast for moms who want to feel calm, in control, and confident about how to handle anything life throws their way. If you're ready to go from feeling frazzled and disrespected to feeling calm and connected, this is the podcast for you. I'm your host, Pam Howard. Hey, Mama. Today's episode is so, so, so good. My guest, Kendra Huffman, is a certified teen coach who helps teenagers find relief from anxiety, stress, and pressure from trying to feel enough. She helps them release the need to be perfect and replace it with more self-confidence and self-compassion. Kendra's also a great friend of mine and was in episode 90 on creating your own mom mastermind with some of our other friends, so I'm excited to share her with you again today. Kendra is an amazing teacher and coach. You'll hear how knowledgeable and personable she is, how calming and soothing her voice is, and how she shares so many great tools for dealing with your own anxiety and helping your teens with theirs. When I was going through some personal struggles a few years ago, Kendra coached me for about three months and she was so helpful. One thing we didn't talk about that I want to mention is that she's hosting a confidence party for teenage girls going into their sophomore, junior, or senior year of high school. It's on August 12th in South Jordan, Utah. So if you're anywhere near there or know teens who are, go check it out. There's a link to the registration page in today's show notes. And I'm sure it's going to be awesome because Kendra's awesome. So without further ado, here's my interview with Kendra Huffman. All right. So welcome back, Kendra. This is your second time on the show. I'm so happy you're here. Thank you. I'm so excited to be here. Yeah. So tell us a little bit about yourself. Tell us about your family and what you do. Okay. Well, I have four kids. Three of them are currently teenagers. Mm -hmm. My oldest is 18 and I have a 16-year-old who just got his license another driver. Um, I have a 13 year old and my youngest will be nine. So yeah. And we moved to Utah about almost two years ago and I'm a certified teen coach. So I love all things teen, even in the church I'm involved in. I work with the youth. Um, my life is kind of very centered around teenagers. So I help a lot of teens with anxiety, stress, um, trying to feel enough, usually stemming from perfectionism. Um, but I help all kinds of teens. I get teens, you know, just kind of emotional things. They don't know how to regulate their emotions, which is really hard because teens feel things so much deeper at this age. Tell um, me, how did you get into that? Because like into the whole teenage space, because for many people, um, I, I remember I used to work with teens too, and I loved it. But my ex-husband was like, oh my gosh, I would never work with teenagers. Like when the kids are teenagers, I'm moving out. (laughs) So what draws you to them? Why did you decide to work with them? I started coaching with marriages and I love all relationships. So I did marriages for about two years. And one day I was sitting at my desk and I, like I said, I work with the teenagers at my church and I 
it's like my favorite place to be. Like if we had church events, I was always hanging out with the teenagers, like instead <laughs> of the adults. And I right. to act like I'm a teenager too. It's kind of a problem. So I already knew that I like loved them. And it was like this awesome place that I love to be. And one day I was sitting at my desk and I just had this vision of a teen event where I was teaching a lot of these coaching tools, mm -hmm. but in this really fun environment. And these teens got to learn these things in a really fun way. Cause I think a lot of times people come to them and have these great messages, but they don't always come through because they're boring. They're boring. Yeah. And yeah, or it's, they're not connecting with the teens or the teens don't feel this connection from the person. So right before 2020 hit, like right before I even knew COVID was going to happen, I switched everything over to start working with teenagers. And I used to be really excited when my marriage clients would have me work with one of their teens to kind of help them through if there was going to be a divorce or something. And I always got super excited. So right before then I just switched over to teens and I haven't looked back and it's kind of just my jam. Like I really feel like I have, there's one thing to work with teens, but I feel like it does take something to really know how to speak and connect mm -hmm. with teenagers. They really have to genuinely know that you care and can talk to them a certain way. I feel like Okay. So you have an audience of moms right now. What do you want to tell them about how to communicate with their teens, how to connect with their teens, like in the way that you do, how, how can they do that with their own teenagers? Okay. So there's so many things that we could. Yes, I'm sure. Topic. Yeah. Which is super important, but I always start with this, that in fact, I just wrote an email about this today to my audience, but Loneliness is one of the leading causes of so many mental and health issues right now. And our teenagers, this is the most lonely um, generation that we've had. It's very common for most teenagers to feel lonely. We all have, even as teenagers, but there's a couple of reasons for that. Obviously, we have social media. It's like a false sense of connection. Um, they think everyone's enjoying their life except for them, or everyone's having more fun and they're alone. So we have a lot of that going on for teenagers and for teens it really comes down to, is they feel very misunderstood. Mm -hmm. And the number one thing you can do as a mom and parents is you've got to learn to validate how your kids feel, your teens, and to try to understand them. And this doesn't mean you agree with them or that you condone certain behaviors if it's against your value system, but it's a lot more listening and validating versus the lecturing, the 20 million questions, um, just this roller coaster of trying to, with that many moms go on with their kids' emotions. Especially. Or just reacting. Like, I mean, I think that's what I see and that's I've experienced too. Your kid comes home, they tell you something or they're upset about something and you just immediately react yes. instead of taking a breath and just like trying to, listen and get curious and understand what they're going through and what's happening first. Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, kids, when they're younger, they really do look to you for answers and to be that safe space. And that's why when kids are younger, it's easy to direct them. Like, Hey, we're going to go here. This is what we're going to do. Here's what needs to happen. And kids feel safe with that. And then you hit the teenage years and it's kind of like this bridge going into adulthood where they are going to be on their own. And so as a developmentally place, they're trying to push against that now and figure out who they are. 
Mm-hmm. And so for teens, you, you have to move from like trying to solve and fix all their problems to kind of putting it on them and yeah. having them work through things. And the only way to do that is for both of you guys to come down from whatever you're feeling and to kind of sit back and just be understood first. So then answers can start to come, whether it's through them or maybe they, you have something to offer. But a lot of times we want teens to be able to grow up and be adults and know how to solve their own problems, how to make decisions. Um, but usually as parents, they have a hard time transitioning into that for teens. They want to still be in control. They still want Mm-mm. to be a big part of it. So you get very, we get very reactive and teens end up just pushing more and more farther away. Yeah. So you say that you work primarily with anxious teens. Mm-hmm. So talk a little bit about what kinds of stressors or things do these teens, are they dealing with that's causing their anxiety and, and how can parents, like, what are some signs or signals that parents should be looking out for to know whether it's just like typical adolescent stress versus anxiety that may require some more intervention or something from a coach or a therapist? Yeah, usually it's surprising, but most of my clients, my teen clients have gone to their parents and asked for some kind of help because Mm. they're not feeling good. Yeah. So anxiety starting to take over at school and they have stomach aches and they want to come home or it's creating problems socially. I see a ton of anxiety around social things and they don't like the way that feels. And so what ends up happening is anxiety wants us to avoid everything. That's its answer. But the more we avoid things, the bigger and scarier it gets in our mind. And so one of the things that parents can do to help if you have a teen with anxiety and almost every teen has stress or Mm -hmm. some type of anxiety, which is not a problem, but a lot of times parents will see our kids struggling and having a hard time. And we help them avoid a lot of those things because Mm -hmm. we're uncomfortable with it happening and we're uncomfortable watching them have to go through it. So a lot of times parents step in, they make them not go to things, um, kind of try to fix it that way. And actually just sends this hidden message. Like you're not really capable. Mm, And that really is what anxiety is. The anxiety is the fear of this uncertainty. Like, can I handle this? What is going to happen and what's going to happen to me? And the more we avoid things, we don't know. And so it just gets scarier and scarier. And so the more you can put your kids out there and to keep facing things and keep doing hard things and knowing their limits, the better it's for their brain to have all these experiences to go back on and realize like, okay, I didn't die or I could do that. Mm-hmm. And it's so hard. I mean, I have, so I'm pretty athletic. I grew up playing sports. I love sports. It was like my life growing up and all my kids pretty love sports too, but my one daughter doesn't. And to force her to do any kind of thing athletic has been a challenge. And my whole idea was you just have to move your body. So whatever that looks like for you, I don't care what you choose to do. It needs to move. And so we were in, she decided to try lacrosse and we're in lacrosse season. And every game day, she wakes up crying. She doesn't want to go. She dreads it. And normally I feel like this is where parents are like, this isn't worth it. Like, why, Mm -hmm. why are we doing this? Like she obviously is unhappy, but as I've kept having her go to the games that we committed to come back and I was like, how are you feeling? She's like, Oh, I guess it wasn't that bad. And I got to see so-and-so and 
all these things. It's not like it was a perfect all time that she's fallen in love with the cross, but this is like what we can do as moms is we have to keep our kids committed to things when it's hard, when it's uncomfortable, we don't feel like doing something. This is what grows their confidence and overcome a lot of these fears that anxiety is offering. Yeah. I mean, I've definitely had similar experiences with my kids and I've talked about it on the podcast, you know, Dahlia not wanting to go to camp and, and hysterical crying, you know, and, um, and then now it's like, she, she just came back from a two week trip out of the country. And she said to me, no offense, mom, but I didn't feel homesick at all. And I was like, none taken. I'm so happy that you had an amazing time. And, you know, she can't wait to go back and, and go to camp this summer. So, yeah. I mean, but when do you, when do you say, okay, um, enough is enough. They've tried this and it's not going well or, you know, letting them quit or not continue with their commitment. What do you yeah. Think? So when I, whenever I do anything with my kids, whether it's sports or music or trying something, usually there's a general idea of like how long something's going to last. And the rule has always been that you're committed to that. And then after lacrosse season, if you don't want to play lacrosse ever again, that's fine. Mm-hmm. I'm totally okay with that. We'll try something else. So, but I will tell you, my daughter who's 18 now, we had to speak at this thing with other women and they had to, she had to share something her mom's taught her. And she said, one thing my mom's taught me is to learn to commit to things. Mm. And I can't tell you how much that's helped me in my life and to try things that I never would have tried before because all of us and our brains want to keep us safe. And so this kind of leads into the next thing that I really want to offer moms is this Mm -hmm. is like what I live by is I truly believe in you going first. So it's easy for me to do these things and have my kids commit to things because they watch me have to stick with things and commit to things when they're really hard also. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I just think more than any lecture, anything that you can share and the good advice, we want so much more for our kids than we ever do ourselves sometimes. And I just live by that. My example of me going first has been way more impactful for my teenagers than anything else because they don't like hypocrites. Right. They're trying to find themselves. Yeah. And then it makes you more empathetic and understanding to be like, I get it. I get how hard it is. I get feeling anxious and afraid. And they, they know that, you know, you're not just blowing hot air, you're, you're talking from experience. So yeah, it totally makes sense that you going first would make, have a much bigger impact than just telling them, you know, to commit and stick with it. Yeah. And yet if I struggle with that, and this is none of our kids need perfect parents, they don't exist. Mm -hmm. So that's not to put all this pressure on you that you have to set this incredible example, but kids just want to see that you're trying And that you are figuring out how to deal with your own feelings. Mm -hmm. Because like I said, teenagers especially hate hypocrisy. So it's like, you get to blow up and be upset about this with me, but I'm not allowed to be upset or have an opinion about this. Like all that stuff creates so much disconnection. So when you're in there with them doing a lot of these things, like I'm just very open with my kids now too. Like I had a horrible day, you guys. I felt so frustrated. This is what I did. I sat with my frustration, like, just kept it real instead of like, mom has no problems or (laughs) just totally reactive to them, but not allowing them to have those same feelings or reactions. Yeah. Such a good point about the hypocrisy. Okay. 
Here's a question about teenage anxiety. Are there any misconceptions or myths that parents should be aware of regarding anxiety? So when it comes to anxiety, most of us are taught coping skills, the breathing, the tapping, Mm -hmm. um, all kinds of things that does not get rid of anxiety. It's a coping mechanism to kind of help you handle the moment. Okay. Um, but if you really, truly want to get a handle and learn to manage your anxiety, you have to learn to know how to sit with it and let it, your body calm itself down. And I teach this in my podcast too, because this is the only way through anxiety. If you're in a high emotional state, your logic goes down. That is for all of us, whether you're anxious or any other kind of emotion. And so our, our teenagers are highly emotional because their brain is still figuring out the emotional part and it's getting developed. So whatever a teenager feels, they feel a little bit more intensely than the rest of us. That's why they're so moody and the emotions are up and down. They're learning to regulate those things. So when it comes to anxiety, especially, this is why teenagers in general don't always make good decisions either. It's why they're kind of reckless or not thinking everything through because they're so emotional. Mm-hmm. So I think a lot of times when we're addressing anxiety with our kids and putting them on you know, medication and things to try and help, there's the core underneath there of like, what is causing this anxiety? And there's a certain element of uncertainty that's happening, which is a part of life. You can't solve all have all answers and have certainty. We're not supposed to, but if you can teach your kids how to actually know how to calm their body down and to sit with that, this will create an immense amount of confidence for them and to get a huge handle on their anxiety and the anxiety won't manage them anymore. They're going to learn to manage it. Mm -hmm. And again, this goes back to what you said about you go first. Yes. You have to know how to do this for yourself. So this is just a little plug for episode 11 of my podcast is how to feel a feeling. And, um, and so, you know, go back and listen to that if you haven't already, but basically understanding how to just allow a feeling rather than, you know, trying to push it away, trying to resist it, avoid it, et cetera. Um, And so once you know how to do that and you've done it for yourself, then it'll be so much easier for you to help your child do it too. Yes. So the way I teach this, so I'll give you guys an actual thing because everyone's, you know, like, oh, that sounds good, but I seriously don't know how to do that. Yeah. I remember the first time um, I was trying to learn how to sit with my own feelings because I'd spent most of my life trying to solve everything in my head. I was just a fixer. Like, oh, Mm -hmm. we're going to fix this. Here's what we're going to do. Action, action, action. I was almost like curled up on the floor, just like, what are we doing? We don't sit and feel this. This is awful. But I've done it so much in my life. And I keep telling my teens that it is the way through. Like I promise you, whether you're the mom or you're a teenager and you're helping your team just try and sit with their feeling for a minute and to try and breathe and bring it down. It will help everybody because then logic and answers will come again on how to move forward in something. Mm-hmm. Okay. So t- tell us what you, how you teach okay. it. So the way I like to think of it is um, anxiety is kind of like fire. We all have fires in our home. People light candles. We have fireplaces. It's not a problem, but we wouldn't leave the house with the fire going, right? That'd probably be safe, unsafe, mm-hmm. and could cause a lot of problems. So anxiety is a lot like fire in that you it can be here, but you don't want it to go unmonitored because that's when it starts to create problems. 
So what people do when they feel anxious, they try to distract themselves. They try to like not feel that, but in the end, it's going to come back and it's going to come like you put fuel on the fire. It's going to get stronger. So I tell my teens, okay, we all have smoke alarms in our house and the smoke alarm is going to go off if it detects any kind of smoke. Does the smoke alarm know if there's a real fire in the house or if there's just bacon burning? (laughs) It doesn't know, Mm -mm. right? It's just going to go off. Our bodies are our smoke alarm. So our brain has thoughts. It's scared. It's thinking about all the what ifs. Anxiety loves to think of all the what ifs, worst case scenarios. And all of a sudden our body is the alarm. Like, oh my gosh. Okay. I think we're in danger. The body doesn't know if there's bacon burning or if there's an actual fire. It's just, I don't know why every time you say bacon, it makes me laugh, but (laughs) you're like, the alarm is going to go up. So your body is the alarm, whether that's sweaty hands, your heart's going to start to race. You feel a pit in your stomach. Some people get really nauseous. They almost want to throw up when they're anxious. And what does it feel like for you, Pam, when you're anxious? Oh, it's like my heart is pounding a mile a minute and it's, I feel, I freeze, you know, like you talked before about anxiety, like wants us to, I forget how you said it, but basically we don't take action. And that's what happens to me is like, I just become paralyzed almost like I can't do anything. And so it's a horrible feeling. Yeah. Extremely uncomfortable. Now think of a smoke alarm is super loud. It wants our attention. Mm -hmm. So when it comes to anxiety, which feels like this, a fearful emotion, it's going to be extremely uncomfortable to get your attention. And none of us like to feel that. Okay. But you're actually not in any danger. And it's our job to turn the alarm off and to assess the situation. Like, is there a fire mm-hmm. or is there bacon burning, Pammy? Mm-hmm. So. <laughs> okay. So not in my house. Cause we're kosher. <laughs> oh, that's right. That's right. Yes. <laughs> no bacon here. Something else burning. Yes. <laughs> um, so it is our job to calm our body down, turn the alarm off so that we can think clearly and assess what's actually happening. Are we actually in danger? Is this real? Okay. What's going to happen? Like letting your mind kind of go there and solve the anxiety versus just trying to run from it and distract and keep running out of the streets, screaming fire every time we feel that way. So when I grew up, we always learned to stop, drop and roll when there was a fire. So this time I want you guys to think of stop, drop and breathe. Mm -hmm. Okay. So stop is the first thing you do is you're just going to name it and you can teach your kids this and you can practice this yourself first, but you're just going to name it. Like I'm anxious. I can feel it. This is anxiety. Now this tells the body. I hear you. Okay. It's letting the alarm know, like, I now hear you. I know what's going on. And that right there will start to bring relief to your body. Cause it's like, okay. Mm -hmm. And you can repeat that as many times you need, like, this is anxiety. This is anxiety. I can feel it. I can feel it. Now, normally we're super scared. Like, God, we have anxious, we have anxiety about our anxiety, but your body is fully capable of handling any emotion. That's what it's designed to do. It was designed to be an alarm. So it is safe. It can Mm -hmm. handle it. The next thing you do is you're going to drop. You're going to drop into where you're feeling it. So just like Pam said, you know, she feels it. Her heart starts to raise. She knows she's like freezes, gets tense. Mm -hmm. What this does is it stops the brain from flooding all these, what if scary thoughts and just has to focus on something else for a minute. So then you go in and start to name it. Like there's that pit in my stomach. I can feel my heart racing. This is anxiety. I can feel it. Okay. Now the third step is breathing. Breathing 
everybody should be breathing all day, like breathing our bodies. We're very overloaded in today's society. Like breathing is a reset button constantly for your body. Like, okay, we can do this. We're here. So we breathe. And the key to this is you want to tell yourself as you're breathing, it's okay that I feel this way Hmm. because every part of us wants to fight these things. But if you can just allow and tell yourself like, it's okay. It's okay. I feel anxious right now. Like my body can do this. It's just a feeling. It's not going to last forever. They've done tons of studies that if you sit and allow a feeling, it will last 90 seconds. Mm-hmm. That is it. Okay. So other than just breathing, the key is really telling yourself like, it's okay. Now it's not like, it's okay if my kid gets kidnapped and that's what I'm thinking about. We're not talking about the scenario your brain's offering you that that's okay. We're just saying whatever your body's feeling it's okay. Cause it can, it really is okay. It can handle it. So those are the three steps. If you're not going to remember anything else, but you just remember those three things and you can teach your teenagers as well. I've taught this to all my kids and now I can use that language. Like, Hey, what is it that you're feeling? That's the stop. Take a few deep breaths. Where are you feeling it? It's okay. It's totally okay. You're feeling this. And for a kid to hear that there, it's okay. Mm-hmm. And their feelings are okay. It's very validating also and very calming. Mm-hmm. How is that different than just telling your kid to breathe, which you said is a coping strategy? So uh, like uh, I used to do light breathing with my kids, like breathe in the light, mm-hmm. a color that's calming to you, breathe out an anxious color, like you're breathing it out. All those things are great. It's trying to calm the body down. What happens though, is people don't, feel in control of it. And then their minds go right back to the thoughts. So once you tell yourself it's okay and you're breathing and it's fine to use any of those coping things, whatever we need to do to do in the moment, but to really bring your body down so that you can go back to the thoughts is how the stop, drop and breathe actually helps it. And then you literally can move forward instead of like when anxiety wants to come hang out again in an hour, Mm -hmm. she's going to come again. She really loves to hang out with us. (laughs) So she like that annoying friend. I always say that likes you way more than you like her, but she's <laughs> going to pop up all the time and she doesn't take a hint. Mm. So instead of the coping things and then worrying, she's going to come back when you can calm your own body down. It's very empowering versus the like, okay, I'm going to put on my favorite song and just like, not think about this for a minute. Cause then she, when you're ready to go to bed, guess who's going to pop up Mm-mm. first thing in the morning, she's going to be there waiting. Yeah. Yeah. So once I've calmed and I tell myself it's okay and I can feel my body starting to come down, then I have to go back up here. Like, what is this about? Like, I'm actually really safe right now in this moment. Okay. Like, is that even true? This is where we want to kind of unravel whatever the brain was starting to freak out about so that you really can move forward and it's not going to revisit all the time. So let's say your teenager is freaking out about an upcoming test. Mm-hmm. right? Or a exam or a paper or something. Um, so how would you then question, like if, if you say, is it true that you're going to fail this test? And they're like, yeah, I'm going to fail. Then what, what, where do you take it from there? Okay. So when it comes to, cause I have to do this a lot with my clients with perfectionism, but I always go there. I'm like, yeah, you might. Right. You totally might. That's actually an option. Okay, then what? What's going to happen? Well, then my my teacher's going to be mad at me. My parents are going to be mad at me. I'm never going to get into college. Yeah, totally. So people will have feelings. Those feelings aren't going to last forever either. 
okay, do you think your mom's going to be disappointed of this test the rest of your life? My guess is probably not. Mm -hmm. She could be, but probably not. And let's, and then I just go there like, okay, let's see, you don't get into college. Then what's going to happen? I just, you kind of have to like, with anxiety, you just have to call out its bluff a lot. Like, yeah. And then it's like, I remember this one girl was coaching her on soccer. It's like, well, what if my coach is disappointed? I missed the goal. And I'm like, okay, let's say you do. Well, then what if I get kicked off the team? And I'm like, okay, let's say you get kicked off the team. Then what? Right. Are you not the same person anymore? Is your life over? Like, and it seems so silly if you kind of keep following the what ifs, you know, like, I don't think my coach would probably kick me off for one mystical. It's like reality can start to come in, but when you're high in emotion, that feels so real. And then you try and solve it or like move forward in that. Like we're just not our best self. Yeah. Awesome. If your clients, if your if your teenage clients could tell my listeners something about parenting, what do you think they would want us to know? I would say the number one thing I hear the most is my parents don't listen to me. Mm. Like the number one thing. Yeah. They listen to me. And this ties back to all that feeling very misunderstood. Now there's cases where like you can have the most loving, supportive parent and you could have a sensitive child. And no matter how much love you give that child, it will not be enough. Because mm-hmm. at some point we all came here and we're supposed to learn how to do that for ourselves. Mm-hmm. You're not supposed to be the end all for your child. That's not the plan. Mm. It's impossible. There's things where you're going to be amazing as a parent and there's things you're going to fall short at. And that's how it was always supposed to be. Because in the end, we all have to learn how to love ourselves, give ourselves that attention that we need, learn how to take care of ourselves. And while we're young and kids, it's nice to have a safe parent that can provide that for us so that we can learn to do that for ourselves. But in the end, like we're all going to have to learn how to do that. But while they're in these teenage years and we want them to learn how to find answers and figure it out, listening and feeling understood is probably the most important thing that you can offer your kids. And so a lot of times parents will be like, oh yeah, I totally know how you feel. And, mm-hmm. and teenagers, no, you don't like the mm-hmm. world they live in is totally different than the world we lived in. We genuinely don't fully understand all the pressures that they feel. But if your teenager offers you a feeling, I feel really stressed. I'm stressed about school. I'm stressed about this friendship, whatever it is. You're like, I get stressed. I totally get that. I feel stressed sometimes too. That you want to validate the feeling, not the experience that they're having, because then they're going to feel misunderstood again. Yeah. So I guess that leads me to this question about um, taking care of yourself and your own anxiety as a mom while also trying to be supportive of your child with anxiety. What can you offer us about that? Yeah. So anytime you can stop, drop and breathe yourself before you approach a situation and you can literally just be listening to your kid and be like, I feel anxious. Like I can feel it. It's going to be all in your mind. Anxiety in adults comes across as irritability. We get very irritated by things. Um, Anxiety can have you shut down and avoid things and very snapping can turn into control or just obsessively over worrying about things. So probably not the best case scenario for your teens when you're approaching things that way. You just have to kind of watch your own patterns. Like, man, why am I so irritable? Like there's probably something going on for you too. And you have to sit and feel your own feelings 
also before you tend to approach things. And sometimes we're going to be really great at that. And sometimes we're still going to be really reactive. It's just going to happen. But I tend to tell my kids more now, like, sorry, I was freaking out about the house being clean again. I think I'm just like really stressed about this thing. And Mm-hmm. It's not that it was okay because I said that, but at least I'm like trying to communicate with my kids. Like this isn't about you, you know, I'm right. having feelings too. Yeah. I think what you said about like the anxiety coming out as controlling that really resonates with me. Um, and, and I have done the same thing where I've said, you know, I'm really sorry, but I was feeling af- afraid and mm-hmm. that's why, you know, that's why I reacted in that way. Yeah. So it's good to be self-aware. Yes. I mean, honestly, so many things would help just if we worked on ourselves. Yes. hundred percent. Anything else you feel like you want to share with us that we haven't already touched on? I would just say, I mean, just depends. There's so many different kinds of teams and their different personality types. But when I started to study different patterns in my kids, because they're all four so different, it made it easier to learn how to approach each of them. And there's tons of things out there. I use the Enneagram a lot for personality stuff. People love the language, love languages. There's, but the point of all those things is like, I started to realize, okay, my oldest is more like physical touch. She doesn't want to hear anything. She just needs a hug. Mm-hmm. It's like, kind of, as I watched these different patterns, my kids, it was easier as a mom, like, and then my more emotional child, I know she just needs to get it all out. And me, for me to not talk her out of her feelings, she just needs to sit and feel it. And she will feel so much better. But before I understood all this was like, okay, calm down. You're overreacting. This Mm. isn't a big deal. And all of that for an emotional child is like way worse. Cause now they feel terrible that they have these strong emotions. So that is like the one thing I just offer to parents is really trying to figure out your kids. And there's a lot of things out there to help with that, but that way, cause they're so individual, not one thing's going to work for each kid, but you try to meet them where they're at. And that's just one thing I've always tried, even in all my imperfections with my kids is I keep trying to meet them where they're at and how I feel like they're going to receive things and to know that I care. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And you have a podcast for teens, right? Yes. Tell us about that. So yeah, I work with um, a lot of teens, like I said, who have perfectionism because that's a lot of the way my brain works. So a teen with perfectionism's anxiety is going to be different than a different teens with anxiety. Their anxiety is about disappointing people, trying to meet expectations, trying to be the best at everything, tons of self-pressure. So that's why it's important, like I said, to understand your child. So you have different ways that, you know, to approach them, but yeah, the, the podcast, I don't know how many teens actually listen to podcasts, but those are my favorite people. So that's <laughs> who I speak to, but I have a lot of parents who end up listening to it. Okay. Also, cause it can help them reinforce some of the tools and yeah. Um, I've listened. I love it. I think it's, uh, yeah, I love the way you teach and the way you talk to people and it's really, your voice is so calming and you. Uh, you're welcome. And Kendra, <laughs> Kendra has coached me, everybody. So she, and I know her coaching is stellar. I've also um, referred a couple of teens to her and I just, I think she's amazing. Um, so we have, I'll link to the podcast in the show notes. And uh, you mentioned that you you mentioned to me before we hit record that you take the summers off. Mm-hmm. So if people are interested in working with you, what should they do? Or having yeah. their teens work with you, I should say. 
So I don't work in the summers because I have, as you guys know, four kids of my own, I mentioned, but coaching teenagers in the summer, I found to be less effective. Um, they're not bumped up on the pressures of school. A lot of stress comes from school and grades, social things. A lot of times when I used to coach in the summer, I was like, Oh, I woke up at noon and then we went to the pool and it was like, so that's why I just chosen not to. And I just start right back up in the fall. Sometimes I have teams that I've started right now and we'll just pick up to start the new school year, but you can still follow my stuff. You can follow my podcast. I have a newsletter for parents also. Um, and then if you're ever interested, we just reach out the end of August and I'll be back. Awesome. And your, I think it's your podcast or your website talks about um, working with LDS teens. Mm-hmm. Is that, do you work with kids who are not part of the church? Yeah, I work with all kinds of teens. A lot of, if you guys listen to my podcast or stuff, I do incorporate a lot of our church culture into it. Mm-hmm. Um, but even if I have LDS teens, a lot of them may be not going to church. So I don't incorporate any religious stuff if that's where they're at. So okay. yeah. I okay, just wanted to get clarity on that. Yeah. Yeah. It's a good question. Awesome. Well, I love you. Thank you for coming on here and sharing your amazingness with us. Is there anything else you want to add before we go? No, I think that's it. I just appreciate everything you do, Pam, to help these moms. And Pam's amazing. I know you guys know that because you listen to her, but she really is. And if you guys could see her be a mom, um, I know she's practicing all these things that she's teaching you guys. So thank you for having me, Pam. I really appreciate it. Thank you, Kendra. I love you. Love you. If you enjoy listening to this podcast and you're ready to feel calmer, more confident, and more at peace in your family and life, I invite you to sign up for a free consultation with me to learn about how my coaching can help you achieve the exact life you want. You'll take the concepts and tools I share in the podcast and apply them to your own life. And as your coach, I'll be there to support you every step of the way. Go to lessdramamoremama.com forward slash mini and sign up now.